Good morning and welcome to River City. Uh, we're glad to have you with us today. My name is Nathan Jornstead, for those of you who don't know, as Jake said. Uh, my wife Morgan and I have been leading a community group for the last six plus years, um, attending this church since several years before that. Um, God has also blessed us with three beautiful children. They, they were at the first service. And uh, I currently work downtown at Bushel as director of engineering, building software for the agriculture industry. And uh, as I said, the first service, it seems that I've been purposely placed as the first of several guest preachers this summer so that if I royally mess this one up, the rest of them can kind of clean up uh, the mess. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 6. Psalm 6 is another psalm of David called the Great Psalmist, for he wrote about half of the psalms collected into this book. In the opening of this psalm, there is this word Sheminith used. It is used only three times in the entire Old Testament, and Hebrew scholars have been un unable to come to an agreement about the exact meaning of this word. Some think it could be some sort of eight-stringed lyre, while others believe it may be a musical term to denote the lowest note sung by men's voices, and still others believe it could be a liturgical term. The exact meaning of this word wouldn't change the meaning of the psalm, but the fact that there isn't a clear understanding of what this word means allows us to conclude these truths. This psalm was written by an ancient king during ancient times with an ancient language. It is my hope for us this morning that we would see that God's word is just as relevant for us today as it was for God's people at the time of this writing. That God desires to shape and mold our hearts today through the study of these ancient scriptures by showing us our great sinfulness and need for him. So Psalm 6, this is the word of the Lord for us today. To the choir master, with stringed instruments according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is just as useful to us today as it was for the time in which it was written, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts with the truth of, these, of this psalm, that we would take the meaning here, Lord, apply it to our lives, and that you would do your work on our hearts here today. Amen. Well, back in high school when I was probably 15 or 16 years old, I had a close-knit group of friends. 
We spent a lot of free time together, often late into the night. And on one of those nights, we had the bright idea of climbing on top of our school building to explore what was up there. When it was too dark for anyone to see us, we climbed up a small shed right next to a low point of the building, and we climbed onto the roof. It was exhilarating and fun being able to see the town from a whole new perspective and walking above where we would normally be sitting bored in class. We knew we shouldn't have been doing it, so we all kept crouched as we scaled different parts of the building, looking out for police patrols that might spot our silhouettes in the night sky. We thought we were invincible, that we could spend hours exploring this new territory and, and nobody would know. But off in the distance, we saw a vehicle turn on and start moving down the street toward the school. Headlights glaring. We weren't sure, but we thought the vehicle was coming from the house of our childhood babysitter and parent of some of our group. As we crouched to see what would happen, the vehicle stopped at the intersection right before the school. I know you're up there. Come, come down right now. It was her. We'd been caught. She couldn't see us, so how did she know? What should we do? We started to kind of move quickly to try to get down and act as if nothing had happened. But eventually she did see us, and we climbed down to meet our fate. Still to this day, I have no idea how she knew we were up there. Had one of the friends told her we planned to do this? Did someone see us climb up and give her a call? It was a small town, so everyone kind of knew everybody. It may forever be a mystery. But isn't that sometimes how it is with our sin? We think that we successfully completed our sinful binge, having accounted for all the angles by which we might be exposed, a flawless execution. But then, right, when we think we can move on to the next sinful endeavor, the truth comes out and we are confronted with the painful consequences of our wrongdoing. We aren't given much context as to when in David's life this psalm was written, but he may have written it during a time like this in his life. Many of you have heard the story of David and Bathsheba, how he slept with the wife of one of his mighty men, Uriah, and then had him killed in the front lines of combat. David, like us on the roof, must have thought he had averted disaster and life would now return to normal, but then the Lord confronted him through the prophet Nathan. This then led to a spiral of misfortune in his life, starting with the death of the conceived child and culminating in his fleeing Jerusalem in fear of his son Absalom. This is where I picture David when I read this psalm. His enemies surround him. He feels the weight of his own sin that led to these circumstances, causing a once mighty man to lay in deep anguish, weeping so profusely that his bed and couch are drenched in tears. So this morning, I hope to show from this text the following. Sin causes distress and separates us from God. But if we call upon him, God graciously hears our cries and delivers us in Christ Jesus. I'll repeat that. Sin causes distress and separates us from God. But if we call upon him, God graciously hears our cries and delivers us in Christ Jesus. I've broken up the psalm into three main points that will serve as our guide. Point number one, suffering the effects of sin. Point number two, requesting God's grace with the first two points kind of being interwoven in the first seven verses. And point number three, receiving God's grace, which we'll we'll cover uh, the last three verses. 
We'll start at point number one, suffering the effects of sin. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, creation has been plagued with the corrupting nature of sin. Now, there are two key ways in which we experience the brokenness that is a result of sin's entrance into the world, both of which are present in this psalm. On one hand, we are affected by the sins of others, such as theft, or the natural consequences of sin, such as death and disease. I call these the external effects of sin. On the other hand, we are corrupted ourselves, leading to our own sinful actions and then the corresponding consequences. I call these the internal effects of sin. Let's look first at the external causes of David's distress. In verse 6 and 7, we read, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. David is here surrounded by his enemies, whether they be physically, politically, or, or relationally opposing him. He's in great distress, lying awake in his bed with tears flowing night after night. With no end in sight, David has grown weary of this great burden. Well, in our day, when we see the racial tension in our country, when we see the political division amongst family and friends, and when we see great wrongs being perpetrated amongst individuals, this psalm reminds us that it is okay to feel sorrowful over the state of the world. When you have people actively working against you, seeking to do you harm, this psalm reminds us that it is natural to be worried, concerned, and distressed. David, the mighty giant slayer, is seen here weeping like a child because of the circumstances in which he finds himself. Sin is so pervasive, so ubiquitous, that none of us are able to escape its corrupting influence. And thus, we will experience feuds and fights with other people, we'll be lied to, we will be yelled at, we'll be called names and accused of falsehoods. And all this is natural in a sinful world. But it is also natural for us to have great sorrow, for we know that this is not as it should be. We, like David, may often cry out, but you, O Lord, how long? The second external cause of distress comes from the natural consequences of a fallen world. I would say it's pretty easy to recognize that there, we have a problem with this in uh, 2020. The coronavirus, or COVID-19, has infected millions and killed hundreds of thousands across the globe, with many losing loved ones or friends. This has then led to massive economic decline with many businesses closing their doors, many never to reopen again, causing great uncertainty and distress for those affected. Governments are seeking to be the saviors in this crisis, but contrary guidance and research, overreactions or underreactions, and political division has exposed our inability to save ourselves. The world is filled with disease, famine, death, and decay as a direct result of sin's entrance into the world. Trying to make a living was promised to be difficult after Adam's sin. Losing your job because people are ordered to stay home produces anxiety and stress. Aches and pains that never seem to go away can make one impatient, frustrated, and weary. 
The death of a loved one stings deep within our soul. This is not as it should be. All of this is a natural result of sin. Now, when we see these external causes of distress, they sometimes may cause us to recognize that there isn't just something wrong with everything else outside of us, but there is something wrong internally as well. For example, maybe you read on the news of an arrest and you're glad that justice has been served and then you realize that you've actually committed similar sins. You just got away with it. Or you may be in a fierce conflict with somebody who is actively working against you, but then you recognize that your sin actually incited that conflict in the first place. In these cases, the effects of sin around us amplify the awareness of our own wretchedness, which seems to have happened for David in this psalm. The reason David is writing this psalm is found in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Well, why is David concerned that the Lord is angry with him? Why is he fearing God's wrath if he's done nothing wrong? Because David senses God's displeasure as a direct result of his own sin. David's greatest sorrow was not that his enemies surrounded him, but that he had sinned against Almighty God. His greatest fear was not that he would die, but that he would die as an enemy of God. Psalm 38 has a strong resemblance to Psalm 6. It starts in the exact same way, actually. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Exact same wording. Then verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 38 read, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Do you feel the weight of your sin? Do you see the destruction that your sin has brought in your own life? Do you recognize your need for a Savior to restore your relationship with God? Or are you like the Pharisees who look at others' sin and with disdain but do not look internally at their own sin? We all sin, and some sins are more explicit, like murder, adultery, and theft, while others are less obvious or more easily hidden. For parents in the room, maybe you yell at your kids, seeking to change their behavior rather than their hearts. Maybe you're intentionally dishonest and misleading. Some of you have one too many drinks, losing control of your mind and body. Some of you are putting worldly things above God, desiring belongings or pleasure more than Christ. Some, like me, can seek safety and security in finances. Or maybe you've become emotionally involved with a coworker, tainting your mind with lustful thoughts. If any of these describe you, or if any of these brought to mind your sins that aren't on the, this list, and as you all know, the, the list of sins is pretty large, so it's hard to list them all in one sermon. But does that make you feel uneasy? I would remind you that you will not get away with your sin forever. And does that make you feel a little unsettled? It is good and right to feel the weight of your sin. 
for it to trouble your soul. Some of you may be feeling like I did up on the school roof when we got called out by my childhood babysitter like a deer in the headlights. And that's good. That means that God is speaking to you today. Now, fortunately, we're not going to end here with just piling on guilt and shame, but there's yet more to unpack from the psalm that comforts our souls. So next we will look at requesting God's grace. This psalm is the first of what are called the penitential psalms. The word penitent means feeling or showing sorrow and regret for having done wrong or repentant. This is the first psalm where the author's main purpose in writing is to seek forgiveness for sin. Psalm 38, which I quoted earlier, is another one of the penitential psalms along with Psalms 22, 51, 102, 130, and 143, which I have listed up here, for a total of seven penitential psalms. So let's take a look at each of David's requests of the Lord in Psalm 6. He starts, rebuke me not, nor discipline me. Well, sometimes we recognize our sin, understanding that it is worthy, completely worthy of rebuke and discipline but we request that the Lord not do so. Maybe you're already trembling with the expected consequences of your sin. It is okay for you to request that the Lord withhold these consequences. But we also must know that the Lord may determine that the consequences would be for our good and allow those consequences to play out. David then asks the Lord, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. The Lord desires that we seek him, even when we know we are entirely unworthy of his kindness. But our God is a kind and loving God, so seek him, and even more so when you've greatly sinned against him. The second part of verse 2 reads, Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. David is here not just requesting that the Lord remove his circumstances, but that God would work deeper than that, bringing healing and renewal to his soul. In uh, the New Testament, when Christ was eating with tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees didn't understand why Jesus was hanging out with those sorts of people. And Mark chapter 2, verse 17 reads, when Jesus heard it, that the Pharisees were frustrated about that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So I ask you, what, what would it look like to start every day asking God to step into your hurt and your pain and to bring healing to your soul? Verse 4 of Psalm 6 starts, Turn, O Lord. Well, the Hebrew word here could also be translated return. Are there times in your life where God seems distant, as if he has left your life? Or maybe you've rejected God for some time, seeking to remove him from your life. It is good to pray as David does here. Return, O Lord. Come back into my life. Show me your goodness, 
Make me feel your presence, for I long for you, Lord. David then writes, Deliver my life, save me. Sometimes we are surrounded by enemies or stressed out about a situation and we just don't see a way out. We've thought through our circumstances from every angle, stayed up late at night worrying about it, and there just seems to be no good answers. Well, during those times, seek the Lord's deliverance. Request that He show you the way. Lean on Him, trust in Him for your peace and your salvation, and rest assured that your greatest need was taken care of on the cross. As David says in Psalm 118, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, after reading all these requests that David is making, one may feel as though they would never be able to pray to God like this. Why would God listen to me? David was this mighty king, right? Did David do something to earn the right to make these sorts of requests? Well, David gives us the answer to those questions in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Now, each and every one of us has access to the Father, not because of how good we've been or how little we've sinned, but because of God's steadfast love. For the believer here or online today, well, we're not online right now, but you now have direct access to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ because of God's steadfast love in the sacrifice of his own son. You, like David, can request these things of God. He longs for you to call to him, and he desires to hear from you. Request of the Lord today his grace and repent of your sins. For those of you who were just uncomfortable a few minutes ago, Bring those sins before your Heavenly Father and confess them to Him today. Bring in others around you into your struggles that they can pray for you and encourage you as you seek to uproot the destructive sin in your life. Now I want to stop here for a moment and consider one question. How long was David languishing in his sorrow before he started writing verse 1? What happened before the introduction to the psalm? For all we know, he may have been flooding his bed with tears every night for a few days, a few weeks, maybe even a few months. And my question for us today is, how long have you been struggling without seeking the Lord's grace? How long have you been trying to make things right under your own strength? It is my hope that this psalm will spur us on to seek the Lord more quickly when suffering the effects of sin. Don't wait until you, quote unquote, have time, because you'll never have it to request God's forgiveness and grace. Today is that day. We will have time here shortly before communion for you to do just that. Take that opportunity to seek His grace. And if you don't know the words to say, just start here in the beginning of the psalm and let David's words be your words. There's one line in verse 3 that forms kind of a good transition into our next point. But you, O Lord, how long Some of you in the room might be thinking, but you, Nathan, how long is this sermon? Well, I assure you, we're moving into our last point, main point. In this question, David is asking the question that many of us ask, how long, O Lord? 
How long must I continue suffering the effects of sin? How long before Christ returns? How long must this sinful body continue to taint my motivations and desires? God may sometimes answer our requests immediately, and sometimes it may feel like an eternity. And David knew this, as Charlie talked about last week in in Psalm 5, when David would perform a sacrifice and request to God, and then he would just watch, waiting for the Lord. Well, to help us better understand this reality, let's let's look at our final point, receiving God's grace, starting in verse 8, where we see a sudden change in David's demeanor. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. It's quite the contrast from the first seven verses. Charles Spurgeon, in commenting on this passage in his book, The Treasury of David, writes, You must have your times of weeping, but let them be short. Get ye up, get ye up from your dunghills. Cast aside your sackcloth and ashes. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Here we see David's joyful and, David joyful and triumphant, knowing that his God has heard his plea and accepts his prayer. And isn't that a just and right response for us? When we've just been wallowing in our shame and guilt for having sinned against God, turning to him in repentance, and now knowing that we have been forgiven, that Christ's blood has washed us clean. That should be joy for our souls. Well, there's a few things that we should spend some time pondering in this last section of the psalm. First, we see David dismissing all those around him who may be tempting him to sin or causing him distress. He says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. To put this in perspective for us in the modern age, what shows movies or media do you allow to influence your thoughts and mind? What people influence your actions and decisions? Ask yourself, am I actually being shaped by the truth of God's word or am I being shaped by the attitudes and opinions of the culture and the people around me? If your answer is the the latter answer, then you, like David, may have some house cleaning to do. It's also worth noting that these are the exact words that Christ uses in Luke chapter 13, verses 23 through 28, and so I'll quote it here at length. Someone said to to Christ, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door and say, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. I see a similar warning to the enemies of God in our psalm for this morning. Verse 10, All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. 
I see two possible meanings for what David is saying here. And if you are concerned that you are at enmity with God this morning, then you should listen to the two possible outcomes. On the one hand, David may have written put to shame to mean the final destruction of his enemies. If you continue as an enemy of God, you will be cast out of God's presence come judgment day, as Christ was referring to in the passage I just quoted. On that day, God's enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled, for they will be confronted with their dire position before God. On the other hand, David may have written put to shame to mean the humbling of his enemies before God. As David's soul was greatly troubled at the start of this psalm, so too should the enemies of God be greatly troubled over their sin. And like David, they should seek the Lord in repentance, asking for his forgiveness to wash them clean, humbling themselves before their creator. Is that you today? Are you an enemy of God? If you do not have Christ, you cannot endure the weight of sin, and that should make, shake you to your core. It is my prayer that your soul would be greatly troubled as you ponder God's wrathful disposition towards you as a result of your own wickedness. And I ask that you take action today. Christ is calling you this morning to repent and turn to Him as Lord and Savior. He is ready and willing to welcome you with open arms to comfort and guide you as a shepherd amongst his sheep. Turn to Christ today. Seek out myself or an elder or pastor this morning and pray with us. Repent and believe that Christ has washed you clean. You know what's so good about this psalm? It's a reminder that God will hear our prayer. He knows our sorrow and our pain he listens to our requests and he accepts our prayers. David says, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. What a joy for our weary souls. We don't offer up empty desires only for them to be swept away by the passing breeze, but we have a God who cares and listens. And even if it seems that God doesn't hear, that he is ignoring our petitions, this psalm teaches us that we can rest assured that God has heard our plea. So where does that leave us? What are we to take from, from here this morning? First, we must recognize that anguish over the effects of sin is natural and good, that even the greatest of men had great sorrow. We should ponder the weight of our own sin and its destructive influence in our lives, both in our relationship with others and our relationship with God. Then, we should allow that sorrow and grief to draw us to our knees in humble prayer, asking God for his much-needed grace. We do not deserve deliverance, but God can deliver us. We do not deserve to be saved, but Christ is our salvation. And we do not deserve to be healed, but Christ is our great physician. And then from there, lastly, we must receive God's grace welcoming him into our lives and allowing him to begin his redeeming work. We must know and believe that God has heard our prayer, even if it seems he is nowhere near us. We must accept his free gift of grace 
letting Christ's blood wash us and make us clean. Now, it is difficult to read this psalm without recognizing its foreshadowing of the coming Christ. Because at this time, at the time of this writing, Christ hadn't come yet. Well, in a single moment, in the greatest act in all of history, Christ on the cross put to shame all the enemies of God, exactly as described here in verse 10. And in that single act, the great chasm that separated man from God was bridged for all who who believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. Once separated from God due to our sin, our relationship has been restored. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In that moment, the curtain of the temple of God, once designed to separate God's holiness from his people, was torn into and we have now been given access to our God directly. And he now hears our prayers and our pleas. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, David's cry of, O Lord, how long? In this psalm, has been echoed throughout time by the people of God. It's David's cry here in this psalm, in other psalms that he's written, If you've read Revelation, it's the cry of the martyrs under the altar. And it is our cry today. When we see great sin and turmoil all around. Oh Lord, how long? Well, implied in this question, how long? There is an end appointed by the Lord. When all will be made new and every tear will be wiped from every eye. This question How long? It's not going to go unanswered. For the Lord will return in all his glory to bring about the final judgment when the saints will be raised to new life. So I'll close here with this quote from uh, George Horn on the last verse of this psalm, quoted by Spurgeon in, in the Treasury of David. Many of the mournful psalms end in this manner to instruct the believer that he is continually to look forward and solace himself with beholding that day when his warfare shall be accomplished, when sin and sorrow shall be no more, when sudden and everlasting confusion shall cover the enemies of righteousness, when the sackcloth of the penitent shall be exchanged for a robe of glory and every tear become a sparkling gem in his crown, when to sighs and groans shall succeed the songs of heaven set to angelic harps, And faith shall be resolved into the vision of the Almighty. Let us turn today to God in prayer in these times of distress as we look forward to that day. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and for sending him to die on the cross so that we now have access to you for your grace both on the cross and your grace for us today in our sin. Lord, we ask that we would come to you more quickly, that we would look to you in times of distress, and that we would know, Lord, that you do hear our plea and you accept our prayer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.